Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies, Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael debate and deliberate a variety of topics and this week is no different except uh, this week's topic is the Mount Rushmore of old time radio and our guest is John Badger. How are you doing today, John? Hello, I am doing absolutely fantastic. How are you guys? Doing great. Great. We're excited to have you on. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us. So, John, you have an interest in um, kind of a theater of the mind, kind of uh, 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 audio storytelling. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I've become uh, quite quite enamored by the the concept of the production of audio drama after having listened to audio drama throughout my childhood. And I will say that. Uh, I might be the certified old fart in this crew. Richard and Michael are a decade or so younger than I am, but John, you're even younger than we are. So uh, let me ask you, what pulled you into this um, world when uh, maybe your contemporaries might be uh, uh, enjoying more, <laughs> more contemporary uh, um, entertainment choices? Well, I mean, we're currently going into the age of podcasting, right? But, or we're, we're in it, but you know, as a kid, I grew up listening to, I don't know if you're familiar with the the show Adventures in Odyssey. No, I've never heard of it. But no. that was a uh, that was a, a program that I listened to as a kid, and that's still going on right now. But I was listening to that, and then my grandparents had given us a cassette tape collection of the series Let's Pretend. And that's where uh, kind of my passion for audio drama grew. And then I found out that podcasting was an avenue that you could create audio drama. So I was like, well, cool. I can just jump into it and, you know, on a shoestring budget. That is really cool. Uh, we um, are excited to, to learn more about your podcast too, uh, or the, you using the podcast platform. Where, do, where will people find your work? So if you go to like mercurytheaterpodcast.com, I have a bunch of different avenues to listen to my content. So Mercury Theater Podcast being one of my podcasts. And we're just about to launch another series called Universe 25. But you can find all of that information on mercurytheaterpodcast.com. Awesome. Okay, well, I, I'm excited to follow up on that. And I hope our listeners do too. Uh, but we'll shift gears into the uh, cutthroat competitive nature of our podcast <laughs> as we discuss the Mount Rushmore of old time radio. And John, as our guest, is going to go first. Uh, John, what's your first choice? Oh, thank you. Uh, so I actually started with Let's Pretend. So Let's Pretend being an audio drama that was an anthological audio drama. I don't know if you're familiar with anthology versus series. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so anthology being every episode is entirely different from each from the other ones, and they did a lot of a lot of episodes that were that eventually became Disney creations. Like, well, like Disney didn't make most of their stuff originally original. It was like Cinderella and all of these other stories that came from something else, and. Let's pretend was an avenue that that they were making radio content. So, yeah, it was uh, you know essentially Disney movies before Disney movies, but in audio format. And I always remember the you know the the actors at the end of every episode. They'll say who they like their actors' names. 
it was it was pretty fun yeah that's super cool i just for for background i see let's pretend uh ran from 1935 34 to 1954 is that attractive to you the fact that um with the um uh format of radio an ensemble cast can uh, more readily take on different roles every week because we don't associate their face. You know, they could change up their voice and we think they're a different person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not looking at it and thinking, oh, hey, that's, um, you know, Liam Neeson based yeah. off of their face because he could, you know, potentially make a different voice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a, that's a fun way to do it. And also you're not, you're not limited to what you look like, right? So you can sound like one thing and look like another thing. And, you know, people are quick to dismiss people based off of their appearances. And I like radio drama being one of those things that kind of evens the playing field. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. For a, a performer, um, it's, it's a boon for the, uh, the five foot two guy who wanted to play a leading man. <laughs> You know, I, I think I think the exception to that was uh, Phil Harris, who only played the Phil Harris voice. Oh, yeah. looks exactly like you think <laughs> Phil Harris would look. That's true. This is big galoot that yeah. just lumbers in. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. He, well, he, you, you get voice actors like um, the guy who played as Bob from Bob's Burgers or Archer. Um, yeah. H. John, H. John, H. John Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah. yeah. So. He does not look anything like, you know, Archer, but he looks much more like he does Bob from Bob's Burgers, mm-hmm. but still entirely different. But I think yeah, my it's... favorite thing about about uh, John Benjamin is that he only still does like one voice. And it's just like, yeah, eh, slap a super spy <laughs> on top of that same voice. Eh, slap <laughs> slap oh. some sh- schmo with a mustache on top of that one. So I'm sorry to like, keep on the subject too long, but this is one of the great things about voice acting is that I actually listened to. I don't know if you're familiar with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, sure. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So oh. he was being interviewed on that show and then he was asked to do the difference between Bob and Archer. <laughs> and while the voice is, is the same, the demeanor and his cadence and everything entirely different. And then you realize there is a really act, really good acting talent that he has. Ah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Within, uh, within, his identity he's found uh so it's almost like he's playing the same instrument but just a, a different tempo different uh absolutely pacing, it's yeah. the difference between a violin and a fiddle uh-huh wow that's cool cool right on so uh that's an interesting aspect of uh you know we're, we're talking about essentially shows uh that were part of that era of radio but um we're also kind of discussing the benefits that and advantages it might even have over more um multi-dimensional media such as television and film and 3d and smell-o-vision and all that kind of stuff so all right uh richard and michael what do you got okay for our, our first choice uh we are going with tv shows based off of radio shows and this was especially prevalent in the early days of television in the 1950s um there was a lot of need for content on television and so people in the TV industry look to already existing and successful shows that were on radio to try and find out how they could adapt those for television. So it just kind of goes to show that, you know, reusing IP is not a new concept in, in Hollywood. You know, there's been several shows that 
you know, they're that are thought of as some of the most popular shows of all time that started from radio shows. You know, I Love Lucy was a uh, was a radio show that did not have Lucy or did not have Desi Arnaz, sorry, as the husband. There was a different actor, and when it was uh, being pitched around to be taken to television, Lucille Ball actually insisted that that her husband Desi. Uh, be given the role. They actually had to go out on a vaudeville tour to prove that they had the type of chemistry that would work on a TV setting. And the other big one is Gunsmoke, the uh, longest running non-animated scripted series of all time, was a radio show for a good long while, which is interesting to me because I think of the Western as a very visual uh, genre, you know, that there, when you think of the Western, you can think of a lot of kind of classic shots that kind of come to mind. And it still worked as a radio show, though. So that kind of goes to show the, how strong the writing and the sense of evoking kind of a place and time was on the radio show. Now, the radio show was the uh, Matt Marshall Dillon, uh, I almost said Matt Dillon, the Marshall Dillon of the Gunsmoke radio show was uh, William Conrad, who people might know from the 70s and early 80s shows like Ironside. Now, this is interesting that, you know, not all radio actors are going to translate to be television actors, or at least not the roles that they were playing. So William Conrad, who would be generously considered to be a larger individual, uh, was not someone who was going to work from a visual setting as Marshall Kit Dillon. So that's why James Arness comes in and he kind of looks the part and he gets the role for television. So um, that's our I, first I think too, we're also at a stage where we're seeing um, podcast uh, kind of tentpole things translate to like TV again. So things are going back and forth. I'm thinking of like um, a favorite of mine, uh, Song Exploder, which has like a Netflix show, which um, I don't enjoy as much. And I think you just often have that um, issue too, where something that works great as a podcast or as a radio show doesn't necessarily translate. And like Song Exploder, Exploder on like Netflix is fine. I mean, it's doing basically the same thing, but I, it's really about the creation of a song and uh, less to me about um, uh, like capturing the image of the person, what they feel about it. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I, don't, I don't really want to see what Michael Stipe looks like. Um, yeah, talking about the song. I kind of I just want to hear all the bits and pieces that go into it. So it, like it's inter- it's interesting to me that to see like oh at some point you know podcasts are just going to be exploited or you know not exploited but like um pushed to uh, another medium to be um, commercialized. You know, the moment that really hit me hard was when I don't know if you're familiar with the the with Prairie Home Companion. Oh sure, yeah, but. So Garrison Keillor was the the main character or the main person for that that show, and I had listened to to Prairie Home Companion for years, and then I saw a book cover that had the picture of Garrison Keillor, and I had in my mentally I thought that he <laughs> looked like um, like not Harrison Ford, but. Yeah. Uh, but somebody entirely different yeah and then you see the picture of him and it's like oh man it kind of shattered that glass right (laughs) yeah like 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 an owl person who had been left out in in the rain (laughs) for a decade or 
Yeah. Well, you know, it almost serves him right because I think it was uh, silent films. Um, you know, there's plenty of tales of uh, leading performers in silent film, you know, and, and it's it's kind of chronicled in, in Singing in the Rain, whose uh, appearance uh, was very heroic or attractive. And then um, when talkies came around, um, their voice did not match the picture. So I think that even happened before the radio folks who couldn't make the transition to the to TV. So that's that's a super fun. Uh, OK, what's your second one, John Badger? Oh, back to me already. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next one I have is the Shadow. You probably have heard ah, of it, maybe. So sure. I was wondering when you said Mercury Theater if we were going to get get to get any to any Orson Welles. Yes, yeah. we are going to get to some Orson Welles. Yeah. So yeah, this is actually uh, when he was twenty two years old, and he gets uh, he he essentially as his character has this ability to make himself invisible and in so doing he goes over to where villains are doing villainy acts and then he'll kind of exploit them and like mentally so he makes it think makes them think that they're like hearing things and they go crazy or whatever but it was it was crazy to to hear hear that as a kid and some things aren't necessarily like kid shows, but, and, and I don't think that that one was a kid show. It would just, you know, appealed because it's that, uh, the audio drama and that I, that I love so much. Yeah. That's uh, you know, when you're talking about performers uh, who in radio are allowed to portray roles that they might not be cast as in a more visual medium, like film or television, uh, Wells was legendary for, um, being booked two or three times within an hour uh, uh, for for live radio shows, and I think in his biography autobiography um, talks about him taking an ambulance from one studio to another <laughs> uh, so he could get there more quickly. And he would often walk into the studio, and the director would hand him a script and and whisper into his uh, ear, you know, eighty year old Chinaman, and that's all he would know about the. Uh, the role before he uh, uh, would perform it, but he was in such demand due to his precocious versatility. I mean, gosh, can you imagine being 22 and having your own stage theater first and then your yes. radio theater second? So uh, that's uh, some audacity there, John Badger, Mercury Theater Podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm... I, it's a it's an homage it's not a not what not shoes that i'm trying to fill oh of of course yeah okay richard and michael what do you got i'm gonna kind of stick within that realm of uh this thing that happened in the 1920s um called the silent night um uh portion of uh, ra uh old radio where a bunch of stations would um because of the lack of um power and wattage uh, they'd kind of shut down so you could let other stations be potentially picked up from far away. So they'd go through this thing where, um, you know, they'd stop playing for a portion of the night just so you could still tune in your radio to see if you could um, pick up other stations and other broadcasts from as far away as possible. Because if you think about back in the, you know, the, the old time radio days in 1922, there was only... Um, I saw an estimate there were 60,000 60, radio sets in the entire United States. 
uh, by the next year, there's uh, one and a half million. And then by 1935, um, two thirds of homes in the country had one. And that's just like this expansive growth. It kind of, you kind of think of um, cell phones in the same similar way where at some point it was only, you know, uh, doctors on TV that had them in their cars. And then all of a sudden, 10-year-olds have these $1,000 computers in their pockets, you know. But um, I don't know. I just love the idea that a radio station would voluntarily turn off their broadcasting so you could hear someone else's signal. And I thought, um, I don't know, there's something very old-timey in that and something very quaint and very, um, you know, earnest in mm-hmm. how America used to be. And, you know, sure, a number of years later, all these huge you know, 50,000 megawatt stations would pop up and start dominating the airwaves and specific uh, bandwidth. Mm -hmm. But I'd never heard of that. Do you think it was, you know, I know back then we we today still have uh, um, networks that bear the names of their progenitor radio networks back then, like the CBSs Mm -hmm. and the NBCs and, and ABCs. But do you, do you know if it was like an affiliate station? Like, let's leave some room for the Pittsburgh <laughs> affiliate to broadcast. I, I didn't see anything about that. I think yeah. it probably just stemmed from, I wonder what else is out there that's also broadcasting on this. Or if you're traveling from county to county and you hear, you know, it's the same thing that happens. Sometimes you're driving your car and you're listening to, you know, uh, a PBS type station or like a KCRW. And then all of a sudden, you know, Bonda music's playing and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's very different. Um, that are just picking up a different on the same frequency. Um, I bet that there's just a lot more, you know, with a new technology, you know, it's not quite, it's almost on the edge of like, um, you know, ham radio or, um, you know, people building their own sets and experimenting. So I'm sure that, that there was uh, an era of that where there's just, oh, what else, who else is out there broadcasting? Who is into this thing? It's the, you know, Apple recommends podcasts sort of button of your, mm. <laughs> your phone or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, I would, you should, you would like this too, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I just like the, I, maybe it's just, I like the, you know, the quaintness of it. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny is I, I, I imagine at that time, the persons who had radios, uh, early radios were in the kind of realm of hobbyist a little bit more so than than the average consumer. So they might've even been aware that uh, some schmucky network was p- putting out their substandard <laughs> rebroadcast of a soap opera and was blocking the airwaves for something better and would have written a, a letter <laughs> to the radio station anyway, saying, listen, well, you idiots. Well, that was one of the things that um, often people would send postcards from as far away as possible saying like, oh, I, you know, I'm in, you know, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I can hear your station all the way down in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kentucky or Tennessee or, you know, North Carolina, let's say. But so I, I think that's pretty, um, um, a very connective, um, aspect of it too. Oh, that's really charming. Okay. So we are at our halftime and normally this is where we implore you to download, rate and review, uh, past episodes of our podcast, but, uh, we've evolved. So now we're going to implore you to go to our, uh, website and, um, click around there and interact with some of the content there and share from the website to your favorite social network, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you got, your favorite podcast. So in fact, do them both. We'd appreciate it. And 
why don't you also uh, take advantage of our guest today's uh, podcast? Uh, John, tell tell the kind folks, uh, if they've just been tuning in now, switching over from another radio program, tell the kind folks uh, uh, where they can find your work. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Uh, great to be here. Uh, no, um, so I actually was on your website earlier today, and this is actually a really great website. So definitely award-winning. It's the, the award-winning website. <laughs> It, it is a good website. Malware awards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is um, great content. So my content is found on mercurytheaterpodcast.com. And theater is both ways. But the way is R-E, not E-R. But you can spell it either way. It's fine. But on there, I actually have my episodes for Mercury Theater Podcast, and you can listen to that, and you can see what else we're up to, like Universe 25 and a little podcast that nobody's ever heard of and nobody ever will. But all of that stuff is on mercurytheaterpodcast.com. Right on. That's really cool. So how long have you been uh, in this endeavor? How long has that site been up? It has been up since 2020, I think October. Cool. So it's it's still a fairly new thing, but I've been putting out content much faster than a lot of other productions are doing it. And I've been doing it once a month for Mercury Theater Podcast while simultaneously getting prepared for the upcoming Universe 25, which is a series all unto itself. It's just, it is ridiculous, the kind of work that I've been putting into it. Can you describe uh, Universe 25 to us? I will try to not divulge too much Ooh, but okay. yeah so if you're a fan of like the shows game of thrones or handmaid's tale or uh what else lord of the rings or something along those lines uh, universe 25 is kind of in the same vein except it's a thousand years into our future as opposed to our past and it's a uh, it's a world that's a, a utopian society and you kind of see the de-evolution of this utopian society because once you get to the top where is there to go from there so it's a it's a lot of fun i had i had a lot of fun with the voice actors and we actually did it in person as opposed to mercury theater podcast which is done remotely and it was it was a whole other beast and it was so much fun it had different different challenges to it it was just it was it was great to do and i'm in post-production and just about ready to uh, to put it out comes out on the 7th but it's uh it's really big um really excited can't awesome. i can't stress that enough hey that's great well thank you for helping keep the genre alive and updating it uh with elements like sci-fi so really cool so um uh john now after plugging your your uh, uh site and podcast uh, let us know your third choice for uh not rushmore of old time radio drama all right my third choice is yours truly johnny dollar Whoa. if uh yeah so that's uh it's an interesting concept and it's an insurance investigator and <laughs> it's it doesn't sound really exciting and but you listen to it and you realize this is like somebody who goes from, you know, city to city and finds out, investigates insurance claims, right? And then finds out how they were trying to exploit the insurance company. 
And, you know, insurance companies are always trying to get out of paying stuff. And this is, this is the dramatization of it. <laughs> wow. Could, could you tell us when this ran? Where uh, about? So there were 12 years of production and 809 of the 811 episodes aired. But it was, it was really interesting because if you listen... If you uh, if you listen to any random episodes, you'll realize that Johnny Dollar is always somebody different, and it's because they had I think eight different uh, voice actors who played Johnny Dollar over huh. the twelve years. So they spent you know anywhere between a few months to several years being the voice of of uh, Johnny Dollar. It's it's. It was really interesting. And, you know, the, the dialogue is pretty clunky in that, you know, they hadn't really quite figured out how to describe stuff without, without saying straight up what it is that that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to go in the, the other direction and, you know, kind of show, not tell what's okay. going on, but as much as you can with audio dramas, this it's a really interesting uh, obstacle that you run into as an audio drama creator is that you have to make sure that everything is, is written so that somebody hears it as opposed to just being told what's going on. Wow. That's really interesting. So avoiding over, you know, narrative or dialogue that over describes the physical attributes or of whatever's happening. Is it the kind of what you're saying? Like let, let people hear it, let people. Yeah. So, so instead of saying, Oh, he shot you or, you know, kind of, you know, make the, the sound of the gunshot and then go, Oh no. And then like try to try to help the other person and audibly help that other person without saying you've been shot, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously like they know the characters know that they've been shot, but you as the listener have to find out that they've been shot in a, a way that goes around it without saying directly what it is. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. I would say that TV still suffers from that a little bit in <laughs> the medium of a film. It seems like you can, show one thing and not have to narrate it and in television i think the small screen still you tend to have people you show show somebody be shot and have somebody say you're shot so yeah uh, that's cool i've never heard of this this is exciting it always seems like uh um something that the guy you mentioned earlier garrison keeler would kind of make fun of you know um a gumshoe uh, who works for uh allstate <laughs> yeah uh, uh Guy Noir was definitely a an inspiration for audio drama for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, so uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, Richard and Michael. Our next choice is radio sound effects, and I just when I was a kid, I was just fascinated with the idea of how sound was made for old time radio shows in particular. Um, There was a museum, I think it might have been the Exploratorium in San Francisco, that had uh, an exhibit where you could do things, you know, like put your hands in the sand to do the footsteps or hit tinfoil to do the rain. And I just remember doing that and just thinking this was the coolest thing. And obviously, there's Foley artists today that work in Hollywood and film and television. It's a very common thing to do. But 
Also, obviously, with radio, it was even more important. Now, one thing that I found interesting in doing some research is that you see these kind of publicity photos of old radio broadcasts, and you'll see a couple of actors around a microphone and then seven or eight sound people all ready to go with their props. And that actually wasn't the case. You usually wouldn't have more than a couple of sound people on a sh- working on a show at one time, but it just looked better and it kind of made the radio show seem bigger and more of a spectacle if you had all these people crowding around and and it seemed like a big circus that was happening. Yeah. So I, if I, if I might jump in, I actually got a microphone specifically so that I could do Foley artistry myself. And even just this morning, I went over to a buddies of my, and went to, like, I specifically had a, had a scene that requires a, a, you know, a kind of a crappy car sound effect. So I knew that he had a, crappy car <laughs> and I said hey can I can I go over and, and record your car and he said okay so I get my my microphone and I put it up to it and let him start it and then you know I listen to it and then let him shut it off so that you get that whole process and but Foley artistry is actually still alive and well and you know now we can do it so it doesn't have to happen right then and there whereas the live theater would require that you know the rain sound effects or the thunder sound effects are done um on stage but now you can you can still make those sound effects like they did in the olden days but you can now collect it and then put it all together in uh on your own time frame yeah you think do you think that they have um go ahead do you think that do you think that anyone has perfected the sound of horses running uh better than coconuts clapping together do you think that that just for like the last hundred years there's been someone in a lab trying to just simulate these things and it's just like no just get the coconuts get the coconuts and just clap them together a little bit and they're exactly the sound same sound i think monty python hit it hit that nail on the head yeah it is those are horses (laughs) and it you know it's funny to kind of bring it full circle like to like our theater artist orson wells who came from um the trod the boards and then got behind a microphone. I imagine some of those uh, gimmicks like thunder might have come from uh, theater sound effects, you know, rain and being, you know, a, a tray full of rice or something like that. So, and you, you also know. had some silent movies as well, because a lot of the radio shows would have a live organist. Oh yeah. Like dramatic. Or I want a live organist. Suspenseful. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have sheet music. They were just playing something that just off the off the cuff that fit uh-huh. whatever the mood was. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, John, how great would that be to just kind of underscore your entire life? You know, <laughs> yeah, just walking out the door, you have a sound yeah. like the have have a uh, sting and then have a sting when you're getting in a car. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. <laughs> All right, uh, so John, we are now at your fourth and final choice. So let us know what you're going to wrap up this category of Mount Rushmore old-time radio drama with. All right. So uh, sticking in the same vein of audio dramas of yesteryear, and it is my last but not least, is Mercury Theater on Air. And you mentioned War of the Worlds, and that was their most famous episode. Most of their episodes went by you know unnoticed, but this is the the audio drama that was heard around the world. And in that it depicts a, a, uh, an alien invasion 
and you know some people heard it and supposedly thought that it was true and in real time so because of the way that they had they had created this i don't know if you've heard the episode but it is actually it's quite compelling for the time frame and there was a specific scene so you you remember the video you've probably seen or heard the the audio from the hindenburg going down yeah oh sure the oh the humanity oh the humanity yeah so they the the voice actor had actually listened to that which had happened only a year prior and used that to create his his emotional reveal of the of the invasion of the aliens and i thought you know if you actually listen to that it's quite traumatic (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and then you hear war of the worlds that's kind of playing off of that and it's quite profound but you know eventually mercury theater on air became the campbell playhouse because who bought their their uh their show but campbell's like Hmm. campbell's chicken soup and that but yeah so that was all done by orson wells and you know it's a really great concept of that the audio drama you know mm-hmm. you know summarizing all yeah. of all of that i think in our october uh 14th episode of last year michael chose uh war of the worlds for the mount rushmore of panics michael do you remember wasn't there something where people missed the first part that said uh, dear listener this is just a dramatization because people were tuned into another competing radio show and then they found out it was a rerun. So they tuned over to war of the world. I believe that's right. I, I yeah. think you, I don't think I can say it any better than that, but basically it's, you know, when you miss the first part of the show that says, this is a, here's a play. And then you t- turn in and they're like, uh, this is a, we're here in the radio station newsroom and we're broadcasting and we're hearing all of these, you know, when the reporting is coming in as um, you know, as realistic as, as it's described, it's very different than like, Hank, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to fight these aliens. I don't know what this is, you know? Yeah. The presentation definitely helped, you know, the, the setting for, for the drama. It does... they, kept on, they kept on interrupting all of the, the music because they're like, this orchestra is playing. And then they, they kept on breaking in. They're like, so we're going to get back to the orchestra, but now here's this uh, uh, breaking news or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they kept on going back and forth. It does yeah. sound like they were doing a verite kind of docudrama style before it was common so that people would were just not used to that kind of format. And didn't know <laughs> that you could, uh, you, could, you could do that. So maybe, yeah, they, maybe they were kind of a, um, just ahead of their time uh, a little bit too much uh, and frightening the hell out of people. Well, that's a <laughs> really good way to wrap it up, especially, um, um, you know, that it does uh, kind of tie into Wells and Mercury Theater and uh, extremely dramatic impact. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think they've said some people like people called the police. <laughs> I don't know if people committed suicide or anything horrible. Not joking, oh, not laughing about that, but yeah. The, uh, the, the, national guard had reported for duty and they hadn't been called oh wow oh my god because of the because of the radio drama wow okay uh uh michael and richard what is your final choice 
Well, our last one um, isn't a drama, but it is dramatic. It was the um, FDR fireside chats um, from the kind of late 30s into um, the early 40s that covered 11 years of his presidency. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our conversation tonight has been about communication and um, these there was only 30, 31 of them. These fireside chats were used as these big avenues of communication to a new market and to a lot of people that this was obviously before television. Um, and it was a way that he could, you know, broadcast a message about whatever he wanted to talk about, whether it was um, the first uh, one he ever put out was about a, a, a banking crisis. And um, obviously uh his most famous was the day that will live in infamy about the start of um, the war with Japan and entering world war II. But um, the idea that the president all of a sudden that was someone that you didn't really see or hear all that often or frequently, you know, you'd probably read about him in the papers was talking to you in a very conversational manner um, was new. And I, you know, ultimately supremely helpful in keeping him elected you know, obviously one, three, three additional times past uh, when he was first elected, but, um, you know, reading a little bit about it on um, Wikipedia, uh, one of the things they analyzed was that 80% of um, the words he used were like uh, within like the thousand most commonly known words. So he spoke in a very plain language, um, didn't try to go over people's heads and the demeanor of it was him talking to you directly like he was talking to just a few people, but ultimately talking to, you know, could speak with every household in America just about. And, uh, you know, those sorts of things, these communication tools ultimately provide to be so incredibly powerful. And I, I think the fact that there was only, you know, 30 of them, but people seem to have this, you know, kind of um, faux memory that they happened every week. Mm. Uh, I think speaks to, um, you know, uh, I can't remember what that term is, that term where you don't remember something correctly, but has become kind of uh, public the, knowledge or the Mandela effect, the man, thank you, the Mandela effect where people are like, oh, yeah, of, of course, every week, but it was like he did, he did less than you, you, you thought about. And mm -hmm. the fact that they were had so much resonance, I think speaks to that medium and, uh, uh, you know, a, a mastery of the medium from early on and i mean it also helps that you're the president and you can <laughs> command all the airways i guess whenever you in theory really wanted to but who's who is not going to listen to him wow well you know that that's a really Im Im great point to think of the impact those speeches had keeping a company or country out of crisis or a company that's in crisis from getting further um giving people um hope <laughs> and optimism that uh, positive change could come very soon. So, wow, that's a really interesting because it essentially, it definitely is a performance and it's a, it's communication and it's, and uh, it's uh, using the medium in a very innovative way to, to go right into people's homes. So that was, that's really cool. He also did his own sound effects too. He would sit there and he'd have, he had the, he had the coconuts <laughs> and he had the sheet metal. And um, I think he also had like the slide whistle for when, you know, he wanted something. And a wheelchair. Really... He had the sound, yeah. sound effect of a wheelchair. Oh, going down. He put, he put the cards in the wheelchair. So it sound, was sound fast. Sounds, yeah. sounds like a, like a mutter. He's like, 
<laughs> is that a starter's pistol? Hell no, I'm the president. I can shoot somebody if I want to for real. <laughs> I've been shot. No, you don't need to do that. You don't need to say you've been shot. I get it. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay, well, uh, this has been a cer- uh, certainly a really fun topic. But what's what's that? Is that a knock at the door? No, I was trying to be dramatic. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, time for us to uh, pick some winners, and I got to say, most of them are coming from uh, John Badger's uh, yes. choices. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Let's definitely go with uh, Mercury Theater uh, on air in the um, War of the Worlds um, episode. And because I've never heard of this, and I want to go out and, and see it, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, the insurance investigator. <laughs> oh, man. I gotta, what's not to love about insurance and investigation? Yeah, I love that actors, it sounds like they. They, they actors must have quit mid-show. They had so many different <laughs> performers in it. Well, it's like Doctor Who. Like, how many Doctor Who's yeah. are there ever going to be? Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good. good Twelve point. years. Yeah, good. Good point. Good point. And uh, definitely, I think uh, let's pretend that that sounds really cool, and it does. Um, uh, that was a great way to establish some of the uh, benefits to performers and storytellers of uh, radio in that. Uh, one has the freedom to portray uh, a variety of characters they may may not uh, be allowed to with the advent of um, of the pictures and stuff like that that they would yeah. see on television. So super cool. But let's give these guys um, a, a point. And I, I want to give Richard a point for his hanging in there when he was buffering <laughs> <laughs> and, and coming up with the, something, the a- angle that really kind of brings radio drama to life in the theater of the mind and that sound effects that was a real cool choice so so john badger tell the uh listening public if they're not too afraid from the scary subject matter that we've frightened them with in our um uh dramatic uh dramatization here where they can find your work well the podcast mercury theater podcast is found everywhere podcasts are sold and distributed for free whatever and you can also if all else fails, mercurytheaterpodcast.com, Mercury Theater and theater spelled however, uh, whichever way, podcast.com. Awesome. So thank you so much for keeping the the medium alive and- It's uh, making a revival. Yeah. It, it, well, you know, yeah, there's, everybody has a podcast now. <laughs> there's so much audio <laughs> out there. Um, the problem with, with such a, an approachable- uh, medium is that it's so approachable to everybody right but it's it's just you find the few that are actually worthwhile to listen to and that's where you where you go or yeah. where you create for sure you know make make something that you want to hear yeah for sure well uh super cool thank you so much for your time and um this has been the mount rushmore of radio drama i as always am jeff i am <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm Michael. <laughs> and I'm John. <laughs>